0: welcome back to the podcast i'm jason clippa with me is gabe yanez we're here to talk a little bit about business a little bit about family and a whole lot about fitness um how'd you like that intro that's the first time i've done it like that what do you what do you think gabe it's, it's good it wasn't want, bad right that
1: was a, what i want to know is how how much you practice that before well, i was on the
0: i was in the car on the way here and i was like all right what's the intro gonna be for the podcast?" and, and uh yeah dude I, I just I rehearsed it so delivered it with no uh n- yeah no faults on that one that was good <laughs> It was good it was good We got a uh, we got Arturo coming here in just a minute from um, CHP Oakland and so you know we've been we've been we've been slanging plates Gabe uh you know um I had a bunch of plates I think we've talked about this a little bit but in the back of the gym we stacked so hella st- c- plates
1: c- CHP California Highway Patrol Clark yeah
0: Yeah, yeah. And so, you know, um, I think we talked about this before, but I was picking up plates because a friend of mine was giving away um, bumper plates, 45s, 25s, and 10s. And I put out something real quick on social media. Hey, I'm going to have these plates. And man, I was just overwhelmed by the amount of departments locally that reached out. And so, you know, we've had Campbell PD, San Jose PD, Santa Clara PD, we've had fire departments come in. So it's, it's been, it's been awesome. And CHP is about to be here. So it's just fresh on my mind. Um, but we're we're on the podcast. We're rocking and rolling.
1: So is there a fitness issue at large with law enforcement?
0: Yeah. <laughs> yes, there is. I mean, I and think, is- I think culturally it's worse in law enforcement than it is culturally in, in fire departments. Now that's just from my like third party opinion, because I've spent a lot of time with both groups and I find that in general, law enforcement, in general, fire departments, you know, they, they, they also have different schedules to be fair. Like, dude, it's a tough job being a police officer and the schedule you're working and being in your car all the time. Whereas fire departments, you know, you're at a station and you can have a gym at the station, which is again, some of the equipment we're donating to is at stations and you're not always on calls. You're always on call, but you're not always on calls. So you do have time to work out potentially. Got it. And then,
1: but is equipment the the what's the biggest thing? Because what I'm trying to get to is, you know, all this equipment going out to these different PDs. That's awesome, and I'm glad that you're kind of being the one connecting, you know, people that had stuff to donate to a really good place for it to get donated to, which is these law enforcement departments. Because, like you said, fitness seems to be an issue. Again, not every single uh, person in law enforcement out there, but enough that you know it's it's a problem. But if that isn't the thing really holding it back, what is? What's what's the thing that has made this a problem in law enforcement?
0: I mean, I think ultimately it's a cultural issue, similar to the way that we would talk about it at our gym. So within the organization, you to create a culture, and that culture needs to be clearly uh, disseminated between the the entire team. I think in law enforcement, the, the struggle is, is that if the top isn't on board, it's hard for everybody else to be on board. Now, real quick, shout out to Campbell police department. These guys showed up at our gym and they were picking up some weights and there was five of them. And these guys were SWAT team members and they were straight up jacked. I mean, jacked Gabe, like the most jacked police officers I've ever seen in a, in a hole and they were just ready to rock, man. I mean, one of the guys was deciding, so he was a community service officer instead of being a police officer at the time. And he was on the short list of six different NFL teams. And so he was waiting to find out if he made the NFL or if he was going to be law enforcement. But while he was finding that out in the next like month or two, he was a community service officer. But this guy was six foot five, giant uh, linebacker. And he's the kind of guy that like, even if he doesn't, I mean, he, he was just so big and strong. Like if I'm a bad guy, I don't really want to mess with this guy. So, but I think ultimately what it comes down to for law enforcement is a culture that's being set from the top down. And I think that if the top brass is not, you know, walking the walk, talking the talk, I do think that it makes it okay. Especially when you don't have a reoccurring, um, physical fitness test on a regular basis, it, it allows people to get pretty comfortable. So but yeah. I think some of that's changing, getting better. Yeah. It's a tough
1: problem super complex too. like a lot of tough problems there doesn't seem to be an easy fix because what i would suspect and i unfortunately i i'm pretty confident this is true a lot of these plates are probably being picked up and are going to be used by the people that don't need them right it's the guy that's like super into fitness that's now pumped that he can you know easily throw a heavier bench and a squat when he's training but he's already training every day i don't necessarily think that all these plates are now going to be the reason that the cop that doesn't prioritize fitness at all is now going to be like, well, now that there are all these plates, I'm going to get into it. Hopefully, there'll be a little bit of that, a little bit of like now it's accessible. But I do think that most of the people that are hitting you up, super excited, the cop that doesn't prioritize his fitness isn't the one that's super excited to come pick up plates from you. That would be intimidating, super uncomfortable. And that cop probably just has to start like being a little bit more active, like getting on the treadmill, so on and so forth. So, that to me is a part of the problem. And I think that another part that makes it really difficult is I agree that I think a big part of the solution is to like raise the standards, right? Like what do you need to, like, what is your baseline have to be for you to, you know, be able to be a police officer. But then the problem there is like, it's not like people are necessarily lining up to take the job now. And then if you keep raising the standards and you have no cops, that's obviously an issue. But if you keep the standards low enough, now you have, bad unfit cops, that's not solving the issue. So it's complex, man. I mean, it's unfortunate, but I do think that a lot of the people hitting you up are fit people that want to be fitter, not necessarily very unfit people that want to take the first step.
0: That's true. I did have someone from, um, so I had three of San Francisco fire um, stations hit me up and I still have to get the place to them. But what's nice about that is that they get the plates and they bring them to their department. um, You know, hopefully other people who maybe aren't as exercising as much, they'll be inspired by, it. and look, we're just talking about some plates, right? But it was cool to see these people reach out who want to have them at their department and who want to create an environment where people have access to equipment that could actually lift. Cause some of these departments, these don't have the resources, man. I mean, it's just, it's, it's a very complex situation because when you actually deep dive into it, there are a lot of people that are interested in doing this, but they just don't have the same resources and, their schedules and all this kind of stuff. So one of the things we're working on with one law enforcement group that I'm really excited about is we're actually going to train the trainers. I actually think this is going to be the solution to the problem like long term, which is, um, giving them our session plans and programming for the NC fit collective, right? Having their department, there's eight different shifts, having eight of those shift, like eight people, one per shift that's like inspired by fitness to come here, have them, have us train them up on just some foundational movement, how to look for, you know, signs of issues, et cetera, like train them up, train them, up, train them up, provide them these tools and then have them, uh, train their, uh, um, one of their eight different, you know, times when the shifts have them train and create a culture where before the shift starts, you're going to come in for 45 minutes to do a workout. And this one officer that we trained is going to be running that class. I think that will long-term potentially be like a, you know, instead of like give a man a fish, he eats for a day, teach him how to fish, he uh, eats forever, whatever it is. It's the same concept, right? Is that we're going to train their train. We're going to train their officers to train the other officers. And I think create this culture of just coming in before your shift. So we're testing that out with one department right now. And I'm, I'm, I'm really interested to see how those, the, the those, that works out.
1: Yeah. I'm curious to follow up on that. Cause I do think that that to me, seems so much more promising because then you have someone there that can have those conversations and meet people where they're at, do exactly what we do at our gyms, but do it with a community that, first of all, like desperately needs this, their job depends on it. Um, So that to me makes a lot of sense because same thing that we do. We'll have people walk in that have, you know, five, six years of CrossFit experience. They're already fit. Just want to be a little fitter. That's great. They probably don't need the coach as much. They need the coach. They'll benefit from it but they don't need it as much from the person that, you know, finally got outside their comfort zone has been thinking of joining the gym for five years and finally took that step to take that, you know um,
0: you know, step in the right direction. So that's cool, man. It's cool that we're doing that. Yeah. I mean, dude, it's, it's cool. I mean um, uh, my friends over at weights and bars, basically they had plates. I'm like, dude, let me, let me, let me take them off your hands. And so went over there loaded up the truck multiple times. And now we have the plates and we're slowly delivering them out to different departments, but I'll I'll keep you guys posted on, on how that goes. I mean, right now I've been overwhelmed by the positivity, you know, like uh, these police officers, they, they, they like to see the love too. You know, sometimes I think that what we, what we don't realize is they have a very difficult job and they get a lot of shit. And I think that they appreciate when someone shows them, the care that they like that you should be showing anybody you know and and so yeah it's it's, it's been a great experience and um, we got more departments to give to so i'm keeping a a, a track re- a, a list and i'll 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 update you once we get through all the plates we have a lot of plates we have 100 140 145s 125s and 110s um, which is quite a bit so we'll be getting rid of those soon where are these plates coming from um, Joe Gigantino. Weights and bars. Yeah. I, I, um, I don't know, maybe during COVID, I think he overordered or whatever happened, but yeah, he just wanted to offload inventory. And so he was, he was, so he put it out online and he had a lot of gyms come and pick him up. Um, but I came and picked them up specifically for the, the departments, but you had some people, dude, bro, this one guy came in from like two hours away and he slammed his truck. Like, I mean, his truck was like, like like scraping his tires in the floor. And I don't know if he made it two hours, but we'll see. Uh, he wanted those extra plates, I guess.
1: Oh man. Gotta get those weights.
0: Dude. Speaking of weights. So yesterday I'm lifting because we have a new Oli cycle coming up, which actually by the time this episode releases, the Oli cycle will probably have already started. Um, but it's an eight week Olympic lifting cycle. And you know, it, I don't lift as heavy as often anymore. And, and I don't really have a desire to it's, 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 I like lifting, but I don't necessarily like going for one RMs. So yesterday I was just lifting kind of heavy, but I did this. Um, I put up a video on Instagram today because I don't know if it's called this, like I called it the pump jerk, but I don't know if it's called the pump jerk where you come out of the pocket, you drive up, you receive it back on your shoulder and you almost like you, you create momentum up, and then instead of like holding the bar at the top and taking a deep breath and then separate jerking, you make it into one motion. The first time I saw it was Ben Smith years and years and years ago, and I started implementing it. Um, but do you know if it's called a, did I make that up or, or is it called something else? You're
1: 100% making stuff up. And I saw yeah. the video, and I also saw you drop a very heavy barbell at the gym where we're not supposed to drop barbells. And your face afterwards was so classic because I knew exactly what had happened. You were like, "Oh, whoops!" But that's that's more what I noticed than than your (laughs) pumpkin.
0: So I dropped this bar and it had a two (laughs) hundred and seventy-five pounds on it, Um, which is you know it's kind of heavy. And I I I didn't have crash pads out because we're filming and it whatever. And I dump it, and I'm like, "Ah, shit! I forgot." Like I I just I just you know had a moment, and I grabbed it, so it bounced off the floor. It flew up hella high. It got like as high as like my stomach and I grabbed it and then controlled it back down. So for those of you who are following me on Instagram, at Jason Klepa, shout out. Um, you might've seen that go up today, but yeah. That was pretty funny. That was pretty funny because literally
1: as you were lifting, yeah, what I was thinking about was how is he going to control that down? And then you dropped it and I saw your face and I was like, oh, that's pretty funny.
0: Dude, it's because I was doing, I, I, I had done it like with a little bit of weight earlier. I dropped like once. And, uh, and, uh, Frankie comes over and he's like, he is like, gives me a look. And I'm like, no nah, dude, it, it was, it was, it was her. It was her. <laughs> I, I was blaming on Liz, but it definitely wasn't Liz. So it's fine. But yeah, I called it the push jerk. So what it is though, for those of you who want to try it, you come out of the squat or, or let's just say your power, uh, power cleaning. Uh, it's, it's more common with the squat clean. Actually both you come out of it and as you're driving up or standing, you create a little bit of momentum. So you almost like push it up about an inch off your shoulders. You then re-dip immediately and drive it up to a split jerk position. Um, I'm going to call it the pump jerk because you're kind of like pumping. Instead of standing, resetting, big breath and go, you're kind of just creating it as one movement. And so it's something that's helped me. I think if I was going really heavy, I would have split it up. But the pump jerk, especially for like 225 and, and fast reps is, is pretty effective. So let me ask you a question. What is it what has it helped you with exactly? So (laughs) um, so for one rep max is it probably wouldn't be that helpful. I think that when you hold the bar on your shoulder, there's this moment of like, fuck, this is heavy. Like you've, you've been there, like this is heavy. Like it's sitting on your chest, you're like, oh my gosh. And I've noticed that when I hold heavy loads on my shoulders now, maybe it's just because whatever, sometimes I'll tweak a rib out of place and it and it's uncomfortable for a couple of weeks. So I've been avoiding holding heavy load in the front rack recently. the last like couple of years. So I figure if I get it there and I get it off there faster, it's less time that bars on my throat. That being said, it doesn't give me a moment to reset. And so what does it do for better? It's faster for sure. It's faster. So like if you were, if you were high repping, like two twenty five cleaning clean and jerks or whatever, I would probably reset it just like that, 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 that technique. So I think that pump like keeps your momentum going versus standing, resetting and split jerking. So I think it's faster. Yeah. I'm,
1: I'm going to push back on you a little bit and give you a hard time because I, I do think that this maybe not to an extreme, but I think it's an example of what for a while became pretty per like pretty common in like Olympic weightlifting and as crossfitters got into Olympic weightlifting of like, I can't think of a word for it, but the opposite of virtuosity of like (laughs) trying to like, like, you know, like jump through hoops and make it like this elaborate, like, look at what I can do, like pump jerk this barbell up versus putting out there the fact that like, you should stand up super straight. You should reset, make sure that your arms are in a really good position, big, deep breath, brace, jerk, and like nail the jerk. And I think that that is what most people need versus like what is gonna help them shave, you know, 0. 0.3 seconds off of cycling a clean and jerk. Whereas, I mean, you know this, if you take a hundred people that watch that video and try and do it, it's gonna be a bloodbath. It's gonna look terrible and be pretty unsafe and just be a nightmare. And a little bit of this is giving You're you a time. saying I should time. take down the video. No, I should. You shouldn't take down the video. I think. I think you make it look very good. And I think, if anything, it's an example of like the control that you can have and how you can manipulate an external load when you've built the competence and the strength to be able to do that. Because I do think that there's something very impressive that you can do that with two seventy five. Like there's a reason that you can control that and not necessarily have to like reset think about what you're doing okay where's the weight on my foot is it on the midfoot like am i going to dip and like you know not have my knees go forward too much like you don't have to think about those things because you've done so much volume so much practice and to some extent like you've you've acquired virtuosity in that movement to be able to add these like levels of complexity to it yeah but on the opposite side of it i think that a lot of people look at that and have done nowhere near the amount of work and repetition that you have. And people do tend to, like, that looks cool. Next time I clean and jerk, I want to go do that. But I think that there's very, 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 very few people that have any business trying to go and do the pump jerk versus, like, just fucking clean and jerk the bar and make it look good and don't, like, starfish your legs. Like, let's start there and then start working on the Jason Kalipa pump jerk.
0: Yeah. Hey, hey, I I agree with you. I do agree with you. The pump trick is fun. And so take it for what it's worth. Um, but yeah. Okay. Yeah. No, I, I, I do agree. Like, um, I I do think in the sport of CrossFit, it it benefits those that, um, it benefits those that like people start developing techniques to speed things up. Right. And sometimes some of those techniques are kind of funky. Um, like some people look at the kipping pull-up and they're like, what is going on in in particular, the butterfly. So early on in CrossFit, um, the kipping pull-up was developed really, I'd say because of its, uh, lineage to gymnastics. And if you look at like the traditional gymnastics kip, it was utilized as a way to get up onto the rings for a muscle up. It was utilized for a variety of different things from bar work, et cetera. It was just a known fact that you would kip your body, um, it just was a thing in gymnastics. So when you started incorporating into a pull-up, it was a little weird for some people because they thought they were cheating and this and that. But I think some people like kind of became okay with it. Like the kip idea, like, hey, same range of motion, but you're using your lower body. and It doesn't look that bad. But all of a sudden, this was like in 2000, it's probably 2009, eight, 2009, I think uh, Spieler was the first person I ever saw do a butterfly kip. And the reason why he was able to do it is because he was at a conventional gym using a split pull-up bar. And when he had this split pull-up bar, he was able to flow his body through it. This is the way I remember it happening. And the goal was to get the chin up and over the bar. And at the time I'm watching, I'm like, wow. And then that's kind of, I think him and, and one other guy kind of started creating that concept of that secular butterfly. But I think now when people look at it, they they think it it, it gets made fun of quite a bit. And it's, it's just one of those movements where you're trying to go fast. And if your competitors are doing it, you're not going to be able to compete unless you do the butterfly. Yeah. I mean, it serves a purpose, right? It serves
1: a purpose in the sport, but I think that it brings, it goes back to this conversation of like the sport versus the training methodology and what most people need versus like just trying to, you know, have the fastest time in a workout based off of this, you know, for all intents and purposes, arbitrary, Like, you know, oh, a pull-up is you start in a dead hang and then your chin has to go over the bar and that's it. As long as that's met, you can do whatever the hell you want to make that happen. Now, that's where things get a little funky because if you think about it in terms of a training methodology, you're trying to build, you know, a vertical pull. And if you're trying to build vertical pull, there are different ways that you can do that. You can do that with the kipping pull-up to an extent, but you should also be doing, you know, strict pull-ups, negatives, wide grip, narrow grip, Supinated grip, pronated grip, like all these things have a place and a purpose. And I think that sometimes you know we go a little bit too far in one direction because I think CrossFit was very cool and very powerful in that it really allowed people to get that intensity. And you can do that with the help of a kit. If you had a workout, if you do Fran, but you can only do it with strict pull-ups, yeah, you're never going to get you're never going to get that that stimulus that is so powerful that really can only be achieved with Fran. That being said, if all you're doing is Fran type pull-ups every single time you're doing a vertical pull, I think you're missing out on something that's very important from like a training methodology perspective. And that's important. And I do think that a lot of really good programming, ours included, takes that into account, right? Like we're doing strength portions and slowing things down every now and then to make sure that we're strengthening the things that need to be strengthened so that you're not just doing butterfly kipping pull-ups every time. Like I've seen it in our workouts where sometimes it says gymnastics kit today. Like we're working on the gymnastics kit. And there was a time in my like, you know, training where I would have been annoyed that that was like something we had to do. Like I would have been like, why can't I do butterfly pull-ups? It's faster. But there is something to be said about practicing the gymnastics kit specifically every now and then, because that also like- It carries overwhelmed. And it's not better or worse. It's just different, which right. we say all the time. And it's so true when it comes to movements and fitness.
0: Yeah. I mean, I, you know, I think that for me, um, you know, it's funny. I was lifting yesterday and I could feel like, dude, I just, I was talking to Liz about this and she was like, Oh, um, you know, she was asking me like, if I want to build strength or whatnot, I'm just like, dude, where I'm at right now. Like I hit 275 on a clean and jerk pretty easily. Um, and I was good. I just stopped because I just, I don't, I don't really want to put myself in these positions where I haven't earned it. Like I can't, and this is something I hope people can, um, I hope people can take to heart is that if you've taken some time off from, from training heavy loads, but you're mentally and physically, like you're still there mentally, maybe you're still there some ways physically. When you get back onto those bars it's really important to like, listen to your body. Cause for me, dude, those weights just fly up there for me. Cause I have the hip power still, but I don't have those small stabilizer muscles. I don't have all the other things built in. And so I'm feeling when I'm going heavy, like little strains here and there. And it's just my body telling me, Hey, chill, slow down, take time to build this back up. And I think that that's something that as I've matured in my you know career is I'm listening to my body more because although the weights are flying up there, it tells me, Oh, keep going. But then my body's also saying, Hey man, something's not right here. You need to take a step back to take 10 steps forward. And so if I really want to build back up my clean and jerk, I would need to start off slower and be on our eight week cycle here at NC fit. Right? Like, but I would need to be consistent with that. If I want to see it build up, I can't just clean and jerk once a month heavy and and think that my body's not going to react negatively to that because so I think that my mind tells me I can lift 375 still, but my body is uh, not quite there. So it's important to recognize that. I think if you're going, you know, if you're getting back into lifting and you've been out for a little bit, or perhaps you've been focused on jujitsu like I have, just knowing where your body's at and then figuring out what your goals are, um, which is another thing we should talk about because Emily um, from Morning Chalkup reached out to me about goals and those type of things You should pull Man, that up
1: there's that So many different angles. We can take that conversation. Like on, on the one hand, I don't think that this only applies to strength. One of the things that we left off on, on the last episode was how, you know, I've gone 10 years in the sport and know nobody that got rhabdo. And now in the past, you know, like a couple months, like I've known two people that, that have gotten it. And I think that part of that is it's everything you just said about lifting heavy also applies to the intensity and volume that's in a lot of the workouts that we do, right? Because there are people out there, particularly the two people that I know that got rhabdo that used to be, and still are, but like used to be like incredibly fit and were training for the sport. They were like regional level competitors, both of them, doing a lot of volume training, you know, like three Metcons a day. And now years later, they still train and they still train consistently all the time. But now it's, you know, taking class four or five times a week, it's very, very different. And then Murph comes along and they still have like the mental capacity to really, really push it. They still have the proficiency, especially in like the kipping movements that allow them to do a lot of volume, but they're not necessarily in the same conditioning and and muscle endurance place that they used to be. And people can mess themselves up pretty good, which is exactly what Rabdo is. And which is exactly like, it's that perfect storm of used to be fit knows the movements, super proficient, mentally tough as nails, but just doesn't have the volume built up yet, it applies just the same strength components and also conditioning components. And I think that that's why, and again, this is purely anecdotal based off people I know, I think that we might see a little bit more of that now if we're not careful, because we're almost at that point where there's a lot of people that used to be in it, in it, that kind of took a step back, but are still in it enough and might get excited with like a Murph type workout, or maybe when the open comes around or just something that is the perfect storm to make that happen.
0: Yeah. And, and I mean, I had to, you know, so Emily, um, beers, um, she's from morning chalk up. She had sent me a list of like different questions that she had. And one of the things she did follow up with me over text, she says one last question, if not with Fran PRS anymore, because I told her like, she was asking questions like, Oh, do you track the, you know, benchmark workouts? I said, no, I don't unless they come up at NC fit and I haven't done Fran's. I have not done Fran since I was obligated to do it in a competition. I haven't done it. So whenever that last was like, I know for a fact I did in 2012, I probably did it, you know, past that. But at that point, dude, I just, I've done it so many times. The the last time I've done it was when I had to do it. Um, she says, she says, if not with Fran PRS anymore, How do you measure your fitness these days, if at all? And it's a really interesting- It's such a good question. It's such a good question because I think for so long, I was so, I was, my perception of my fitness had solely to do with my performances on workouts. In particular, you know, was I winning the CrossFit Games, right? Like it was very clear for me. I'm measuring my fitness based on my peers and I wanted to win the CrossFit Games, period. And what that led me to do was to look at every single workout as if it was a competition. I want to set better scores. And I did that for a decade, but then I, so I wrote back to her. I said, I measure it by how I feel when I wake up, if I can still lift moderately heavy loads in parentheses, more than most people. Right. And, and can I perform all daily needed and desired tasks? Like, that's it. That's the way I measure it. Like for me right now is, am I training hard and am I living free? And that's what I think about. And, you know, so I no longer worry about PRs on workouts because I'm asking myself the question because sometimes my fitness is actually going in the opposite direction. If I train way too hard, dude, I wake up and I feel like shit. I have to, it takes me 30 minutes to warm my body up. That's not, that's not good. Or I've, I've trained so hard before that I can't go play baseball with Caden. Like that's not fitness for me. That's, that's, that's too much, too quick. Right? Like, like if, if fitness is a, a, a measure of your ability to, to do things outside the gym, if I go too hard in the gym and I cannot do something that my child wants to do with me, there's a big problem there. And that's just something I've had to kind of like check my ego at the door and and regulate my intensity.
1: Sure, man. Yeah, I mean, it, it's an interesting question because I think we've all been there. Like, right, me me at a very different level than you. Obviously, you know, you're CrossFit Games. For me, it was always kind of like the leaderboard at our gym, right? Like that was always like to us, like hitting up Sugar Watt at the end of the day and like seeing what, like, if we worked out in the morning, what the afternoon classes that was like our like regionals games every single day, and it yeah. was a lot of fun. But man. Like it would be a serious hit if like a wheelhouse workout came up and someone beat me that like wasn't supposed to beat me, like wasn't supposed to beat me in my mind, it would ruin my day. It honestly would like so much of the work I was putting in, in the gym and like how fit I was and whether that work was translating to results literally just meant like, how am I ranking on this leaderboard? It's a little silly to think back on it, but you know, I think we Dude, all at the
0: time it was real and it, right, it right? was very real to me.
1: And I think it was also like, there were many aspects of that, that I think were very positive. Absolutely. dude. 100%. It wasn't all negative. And I think that it was a great kind of like stage to go through, even in just like my journey of not being a competitive, competitive athlete, but just like my relationship with like fitness, exercise, health, and like, what role I want that to play in like the overall fulfillment of my life. But now, you know, to your point, it's exactly the same thing. Like, there are many things I need to do that require my energy. And like, I need to make sure that like, I don't empty my tank early in the morning, just cause I want to quote unquote, get a good workout. Cause I need to be clear headed on these calls, on these podcasts I've work to do. And then I don't want to get to the end of the day and be like completely drained now that I have a kid, you know, especially now that he's at the age where like, he really like is starting to like play and wants my attention i'm sure that that's only going to be fivefold tenfold once he wants to like go outside and play catch or go run around or stuff now playing with him is just literally laying on the ground and like you know paying him attention like having little toys in his face but i would never want to get to the point where i'm done with the things i need to do and i don't even have the energy to do that or there's any point that like feels like i need to like dig deep to do that i want to be super energized by the time that point in my day comes and be like excited to spend that time with him, not feel like I need to like, Oh, like I'm going to need a PM cup of coffee here to like really show up for my kid. Yeah. Um, so yeah. And super similar. That,
0: but, and I think that's okay. You know, like yesterday I'm lifting. And Liz asked me if she wanted to help me, uh, design a program for, uh, help me with a program from strength to help me for jujitsu. And I'm like, that's not what my focus is. Like I'm not trying to build more strength. If I was like, I'd be whatever. My focus is well-rounded overall fitness, keep up with the kids and learn new skills through jujitsu and in the gym, right? So, but I think each person has to go through kind of like, what is fitness to them? How does it evolve over time? At one point, it might be trying to beat the leaderboard. At another point, it might be just trying to reach your potential in X, Y, and Z. So I think that um, just kind of giving people the, the notice that, like I'm going through this on a regular basis and I have to constantly remind myself like, dude, I'm not the person I once was and that's okay. Like just like your business isn't the same thing it was 10 years ago and that's okay too. Like it's okay to evolve and and shift and grow and it's actually a good thing. So anyways, it was a good reminder for me yesterday, especially like lifting heavy with Liz, who's really involved in uh, weightlifting right now.
1: Yeah, yeah. My goal is also to get super, super jacked. In my mid thirties, like I want to get to 35 and be like, like, I want people to be like, what the hell is that guy doing? And I just started. So I've been, I've been bulking for all of this year, eating at a caloric deficit, training super hard in the gym. And today is the first day of actually starting to cut back and hopefully like see the like results of like a real disciplined, more disciplined than I've ever been. Cause usually what happens is I'm like, Hey, I'm going to bulk. And then like I do that for like three months, which arguably isn't enough time to like build meaningful muscle mass, especially if you're a hard gainer, someone that hasn't been super successful at building muscle in the past. And then I'm like, oh, like eating this much food is a pain. And like, you know, you look in the mirror and you're not like super thrilled with what you see. So you're like, all right, I'm going to go back to what I'm doing. And then you just end up doing that in a cycle and you don't really get anywhere. This is the first time where ever since December when Shay was born, I've been doing this pretty to the book. I put on good weight. I started at 172. I weighed in at 190 this morning. Um, definitely not like shredded 190. No, 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 by no means. But that's kind of the process that someone like me needs to go through. And now I'm gonna go for 12 weeks on a cut phase, keep making sure that I'm like really, really working um, some bodybuilding type training so that you know my body doesn't just lose a bunch of muscle and fat. And then hopefully in 12 weeks, I'll look shredded as fuck. Bro, take some,
0: take some before and after pictures.
1: Oh, dude, for sure. There's an album on my phone called Body Composition Progress. Dude, I
0: like that. Um, hey, so I was so yeah. I um I wanted to bring up this concept (laughs) of um not to switch gears, but I'm gonna switch gears. Of I wrote this down. Not important to me, but important to her. So I wrote this down. And so it's really interesting in relationships. So as you know, uh, my wife and I, we started dating when we were both 14 and we've been married for coming up on 15 years, I think 14 years, 14 years. So we've been together a long ass time, right? Better get that right. Yeah. 14 years. Um, and what I, what I've learned, (laughs) um, is that Sometimes some of the things that are not important to you are really important to your significant other. And you have to kind of switch your perspective if you want to maintain a good relationship. Because to me, birthdays are not that big of a deal. I don't really care if we plan anything. I don't really care if we do much. Um, I'll take the lead if I want to go do something. Whatever. Whatever. And I think it's because over the last twenty years, Ashley has always taken the initiative and done stuff for me. So i would never felt like I really had to do anything because she's always taking the initiative and set stuff up or asked me what to do. But because I don't really find it that important, I never really like prioritized her birthday that that much. And I could do a much better job of this. Like we did something kind of for her 35th. We'll definitely do something for her 40th. But like I've never really prioritized it for. And we were talking about it yesterday. And it really hit me hard. I'm like, you know what, like. I need to change my perspective on some things because sometimes what I don't think is important is really important to her, but I don't even, I don't even pick up on it because it's just, it doesn't even matter to me, but to her, it's a big deal of her birthday. And so it's just something I just wanted to bring up to you here. And and for anybody listening, like when you have your significant other, when you've been together for a really long time, I think sometimes you get in these ruts and you just like, oh, it's just the way they are. Well, the reality is like you gotta find out what's important to your significant other and and try and find ways to like, even though it's it's hard for you because it's not the way you naturally gravitate, you don't naturally do those things. It's important to them, so it should be important to you. And this birthday is is just a good reminder for me. If it's important to her, it needs to be important to me. Even though it isn't important to me, if that makes sense, I need to do a better job. So topic conversation was last night. Um, her and I were talking about this and I apologized and step my game up. Yeah. I mean, one of the, um, relationships (laughs) one-on-one. Well,
1: but I mean, it's true. And a lot of people don't think about this specifically. And it it was in a book. I was, I was looking up the book. It's how will you measure your life by Clayton Christensen? Um, and one of the things he talks about in that book is just that one of the most important jobs you'll, you'll ever have is being a spouse to someone, being someone's partner. And he talks about treating it like a job. And most of the times, you know, if you're part of a good company, they give you like very clear directions on like what they need from you, right? Like in my position, I'm in charge of our marketing strategy, sales. And I know that there are certain things that I should be doing to move the ball forward. And that's very clear. I have a good relationship with Matt where he communicates that to me and we have that feedback. But sometimes you don't have those conversations, or most people actually don't have those conversations with their partner. And it's exactly the conversation you just had. And I love in the book how he makes that analogy because then it makes perfect sense, right? Like how am I supposed to be Ariel's like best husband I can if I'm not checking in on a regular basis on what she actually needs for me. And all I'm doing is making assumptions on like what being a good husband to her means, right? Because to your point, if I'm making assumptions, I'm probably making those assumptions based, based on off what the things you that are want. important to me. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Right. And that's silly because we're we're different people. Like obviously we're partners and we chose each other for a reason, but we are going to value things differently. So after reading that book, actually, I had that very similar conversation what you had. But it was more of like, you know, not, hey, I know that these things may be meant differently for you, but it was literally asking, like, what do you need from me? And I think that the other, like, I forget where I heard this, but I heard this a while back. But, you know, it's one of the things that has been really good relationship advice for me is to have those conversations when times are really good, because when times are really good, you can have an open conversation and you could be more honest because times are good. When things are rocky, maybe you're in a fight, Like that's not the time to have those conversations because emotion gets in the way. You're going to be more closed. You're going to be more guarded, obviously. So it's kind of one of those things of always getting in front of it and making sure that you're having those open conversations when things are good, you're super happy. We're going on a walk with Shay. We're like, man, this is amazing. That's where I kind of like ask those questions. And I feel like that's when you can get like the most honest answers. But really good book. Highly recommend it to anyone um, that's looking for a good read. What was Uh, it again? That's the, um, I've pulled up here. It's how will you measure your life by Clayton Christensen?
0: Yeah. I mean, in, in, in the, 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 what I've found over the years is that it's hard. It's hard because, um, like uh, uh, using that, that analogy of work, If I know that Gabe is responsible for these things, but like, maybe there's parts of your job that are hard for you to do. Like, so for example, in a relationship, if I know that my significant other likes affection, for example, but that's not naturally the way that I am. And by the way, it's the opposite, but let's just say it was that way, right? Like you have to work hard to try and do that because it's not naturally the way you are. So if you're naturally someone who doesn't need affection in your life, let's just say that's not like an important thing to you because of the way you're brought up or whatever it is, but your spouse needs that. And you know that like you have to continuously remind yourself that almost daily, because it's not naturally where you'll gravitate towards. It's the same thing with this birthday analogy. I know this is like one example, but it's like, naturally, I just don't think it's a big deal, but it's a big deal to her. And so like, I need to actively work hard. So for example, Ashley loves it when I plan stuff and I never plan stuff. And that's a problem. <laughs> and, and she loves it when I, and I know that she loves it when I plan stuff, but I don't plan anything because I'm very sporadic. I just, I just I, I don't like to plan things. I'm very uh, I'm I'm very casual. I mean, you know this probably about me. And but dude, it's it's anyways, it's 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 not something a, not I want to bring up because I imagine people listening right now are like, dude. I get what you're saying. And this is basically inspiration for all of us. You know, if you want to maintain a strong relationship, you got to do some things that, you know, that aren't naturally super comfortable for you and work hard because that's what your, your other person needs. So it's what we've got to
1: yeah. do. Yeah. And the first step is not making assumptions that you know what those things are. I, I think that that's, that, that was my biggest learning from having that conversation and reading that book and like the writing was kind of on the wall about that stuff, because we joke around, you know, a lot of this goes back to like love languages and having different ones, like, you know, gift giving words of affirmation, like affection, all that kind of stuff. Um, but it was just really good. And you would assume that, you know, to just ask like, Hey, like, what can I do better? Like, what do you need for me? Especially like right now, because that conversation is going to change, right? Like what yeah. she needs for me as her husband now that we have a kid is very different than what you need for me back when we were, you know, just me and her.
0: Yeah. I mean, for sure. I think for Ash and I, like it just, it escalated so quickly when Ava got sick that like a lot of those conversations, like naturally just like, were like forced upon us really quickly. Um, so it actually, I mean, I, I would say it helped our relationship because we had something really, you know, dramatic that we needed to go through together. So anyways, just, just fresh on my mind, you know, I think that, uh, I want to see everybody listening to this podcast, like thriving in their relationships, in their fitness and in their business, all three of those things. Like it's not one or the other. Like, I don't believe that you should just be kicking ass as an entrepreneur, but have shitty relationships. And I also don't believe that you should be, you know, super fit, but having no relationships like you have to have it all entwined. And that's really the the basis of the mentality, right? Of this idea that creating strong relationships, creating financial head and building a fitness hedge to kind of help you if life ever throws you a curveball. For sure, I um, I wanted to bring up another book, just because why not? Um, oh shit, the buy back your time one. So this was Dan Martell. So I have not finished this book. Frankly, I'm just kind of diving into it. We listened to this gentleman speak at the Two Brain Business Summit, and so here's the podcast. We were talking about fitness. We were talking a little bit about family. Now we're talking about business, and what he really goes into, and I found this to be pretty interesting. Is I, his haven't re- body- I, I haven't read the book, but I think that
1: this applies to like doesn't necessarily apply to business. I think that this applies in general, right? Go ahead. I didn't mean you
0: cut you. Off. I, well, I mean this this one in particular um, is the buyback rate formula in particular. Um, it's income. So this is this is like something that every gym owner or entrepreneur or anybody really listening takes your example income. Let's just say he he uses the example of $200,000 and you divide it by 2000 hours, which is a 40 hour work week across a year. And then you divide that by four, because that's the rate of return that he wants you to get on your investment, which would be $25 an hour. So even if you're, so basically, even if you're currently taking only 50,000 a year from your company, your buyback rate is approximately $6 and 25 cents per hour. Even if it's all you could afford right now, you still may be able to provide a useful job for someone. So essentially what this person is trying to say is that you're looking for return on your investment. So if you're making $200,000 a year, let's just say it's hundred thousand dollars a year. And you're dividing that by 2000 hours, you're making $50 an hour, right? That's how much you're making. But if you could divide that uh, by four, if you could find somebody out there that could do that same work for you for $12 and 50 cents, then it makes sense to delegate that workout. If you can't find someone to do it for that price, then it might not make sense for you to delegate that piece of workout. And the theory is buying back your time. And that's the, the formula he's using. I'm still diving in, but that was an interesting um, piece of advice he gave because it opens up your mind this idea of how much is your time worth? And what is, it, what is it worth for you to have somebody else do that work so you can go do something else? And that's why I wanted to bring up the formula. It's not perfect, but it's a good example. Yeah, and I think that it gives
1: anyone, but Contents. if you want to use this specific um, example of like a gym owner, it at least gives them a place to start. Because even if you're nowhere near being able to hire front desk staff or someone to clean the gym or whatever, you know the things that you want to offload, it at least gives you a point where you're like, okay, now I know what to aim for so that I can start buying back that time. Right. Because like anything else, if you're not writing stuff down, if you're not measuring it, it's not gonna move. So if you're just waiting for there to be you know, a sign from up above that says, hey, you can now hire front desk staff, you're gonna be waiting forever. But if you can objectively put it down on paper and be like, hey, when I get to the point that I can pay someone $15 an hour, and I'm no longer servicing leads or answering those initial emails, and I have someone at the front desk, it makes sense. Now you know you need to go do that. And then there's also like a little bit of fire under your butt to, okay, now that I got back 10 hours a week of that time, what can you fill that with that is now so much more valuable than what you replaced it with? So I, regardless of that being the perfect formula or whatever, which you can poke holes in that all you want, I think that the idea of putting this kind of stuff down on paper, putting a number next to it, and being able to say, Okay, here's the goal, here's something that I want to offload to buy my time back, I think has so many benefits. And again, it applies to people that also aren't entrepreneurs or whatever, because you know it applies to whatever you're spending time on, whether it's yeah, landscaping, a
0: uh, pool right. cleaner, right? Uh, exactly, all whatever. that
1: stuff, yeah. And again, if that stuff brings you any sort of like fulfillment, it's how you get outside. It's how you do stuff. That's different altogether. I think that the other part of measuring this is like, what's the kind of stuff that you're like, oh, I need to go do this right now. Right. Potentially you can outsource. And now you can put a number to like, when does it make sense to outsource? And then
0: what are you going to use that time for? And does it make sense? Do you know what you're going to replace the time you're buying back? Yeah. I mean, you could think about like, I know some people that have their laundry serviced, which sounds a little, you know. High end, but they they really don't like doing laundry, so they'd rather pay X amount dollars per month to have their laundry done. And for them, there's value there, right? Um, and so, yes, buying back your time I think is a really interesting theory. I'm excited to dive deeper into this book, but I think for anybody, they could just think about it in terms of like how much is their time worth, and what does it mean if you buy it back? And especially for a gym owner, like yes, this is a this is a plug for us, but like. But first, thing you should be thinking about like if you're spending time session planning and programming for your gym, you're you're you need to buy back that time real easy by outsourcing your programming to us because we could save you a bunch of time and it's not very expensive. Um, and even if it wasn't us, which I think it should be us, it should be someone else because it just doesn't make sense for you. It doesn't pencil out financially for your company to be doing your own programming. For sure. That's- speaking
1: of um, speaking of things that are inspirational and i think yeah. just super interesting um i don't know if you saw i'm gonna i hope i don't butcher his name but jacob enja brigston enja Brixton jacob enja broke the two mile world record dude with a 754 dude in i Paris. saw that that's so, so stupid gabe so so the pace there just for anyone's quick little math here is a 357. So a sub four minute mile for two miles back to back. And I think the really cool thing is, and if no one's familiar with the story, like the four minute mile was a really big deal, right? And it's brought up time and time again, as this like example of like, you know, people believe that something can't be done, but once you like someone proves that it can, that in itself makes it easier for it to get done. right? Because back in the day for a long time, it was believed that the human body could not run a sub four minute mile. It was right. quote unquote, physically impossible. They said that the heart would burst or like whatever, but it was impossible. And this guy trained and committed to, and it's a really inspirational story and eventually broke the four minute mile. And the interesting thing was once he broke the four minute mile, People started breaking the mile. It just he proved that it was possible, and that's the f- switch that needed to be flipped for people to break that mile, break that barrier, and now breaking the four minute mile became a lot more common. And to fast forward now and have someone run two miles in under that pace, I think it just it it's such a eye opening moment. To there are so many things out there that e- people either tell themselves or there's just the narrative out there that it's impossible. And it just takes one person to do it and prove that it's possible for you to actually like, be like, oh, I can do this. And that can be applied to being an entrepreneur, that can apply to running a seven figure gym business, whatever it is that you're like, man, that could never happen. There's probably someone out there that did it. And if someone out there did it, that means that you can do it. It just means that you have to put in the work and do what they did to do it. And not, you know, throw your hands up in the air because maybe it's not happening as fast as you wanted it to. So anyway, I think that there's a cool lesson and something that I've been thinking a lot about because it's crazy, right? Like this was impossible, quote unquote, impossible to do for one mile, and now people are doing it for
0: two. Bro, think about this, okay? A sub one minute four hundred is hard. This is so fast, dude. Like, I want to say my fastest 400 ever is, like, a 58, okay? And that's me running my ass off at 400 meters. This guy keeps that pace for um, eight laps, right? Eight laps, yeah. yeah. Eight laps. Like, I can't even fathom it. Like, I, I just... Anyways, I'm looking up the Yeti question of the day, but dude, while,
1: while you do that, um yeah. as I was googling the 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 record, um apparently the world record for the beer 2 mile, the beer 2 mile is 1018, which I think is quite possibly more impressive cuz that's just over a 5 minute per mile pace and you chug a beer every lap. So, 2 miles, that means you're chugging eight beers running 2 miles and doing that in 1018. So, Shout out to whoever let me click into this so we can give the right guy some credit here. But shout out to the guy that has the record for the two two beer rock. Chris Robertson.
0: But what he he ran a mile and chugged a beer. So do you know what the you know what a beer mile is, right? Um no.
1: Oh dude, they like host huge events for this. A beer mile is you're on a track. And you have to chug a beer every lap so a beer mile is four beers and you run a mile you you chug a beer there's like a transition area and you have to come through and you have to finish the beer completely before you can continue we're talking running. like
0: cores light are we talking like hazy ipa i think it could be like
1: it's definitely not a hazy ipa i think it could be any beer um as long as it's you know whatever 10 ounces or something but um yeah so Think about it. He drank eight beers and ran two miles and he did that in 1018. I'm surprised you haven't heard of the beer mile. It's a huge thing.
0: No, I haven't, but that's awesome. I uh dude, I'm trying to pull up the Yeti question of the day because there was there were some really good ones, but I'm having a I'm having a difficult time um pulling it up. But dude, that's pretty crazy, actually. I uh I didn't realize that was, yeah, that's.
1: Now so, I'm, I, I could have run way faster, but had to hold back enough to keep the stomach and breathing calm to avoid the chunder. <laughs> That's what
0: he said about it. I'm trying to find out what, what kind of beer
1: now I have to Yeah, like, over. like,
0: is it like Natty Ice? Is it like, uh, oh, could no. you imagine, dude, could you imagine back in the day running a mile and doing like a Schmirnoff Ice? Do you remember when that was pretty popular? Or maybe you're too young for that. You're too young for that. Not too young for that. I remember. I cannot
1: find. Um, okay, so five. according according to the sanctioned beer mile rules, the brew you choose must have at least five percent um, alcohol by volume and be packaged in a twelve ounce bottle or can that has no special alteration to help the liquid pour faster. Beyond that, competition is open to lagers, stouts, IPAs, ales, and the rest. But the beer mile is about speed, of course. So people probably pick Budweiser or perhaps blue ribbon. Well, cause
0: I've done it where you do like a shot of beer every minute plus a pull up or something like that. But, um, you know what I did the other day? This is not the other day I did at a holiday party is we chugged a beer and then you chug a beer and this is knowing that I'm getting old because I didn't know you do this. You go like, you poked a hole in the beer then you pop the can. And so then there's no air. So just like funnels right into your mouth. I did this during the holiday party. And then you, you, you handstand walked across the room. So there was like 10 of us. And I, these younger guys, you know, they're in their twenties. They're like, Hey, you want to do it? I'm like, that's, you know, that that's called shotgunning a beer.
1: And yes, you're aging yourself by not knowing that it's called shotgunning a beer, but I've never heard of the
0: handstand walk thing. So these young kids are like, Hey, you want to do it? I'm just like, all right. So obviously I didn't check my ego. I'm like, fuck it. You know, all right, I'll do it. So I, so I shotgun this beer. No, but shotgun. Yeah, no, you're right. But they'd up at whatever. So I shotgun the beer and then I went upside down immediately and walked across the room. It was a terrible idea, dude. All that beer goes right back into your stomach or right back in Anyways, It was terrible. Um, Hey, uh, I, I, you know, this is from a little while ago, because I need to be able to pull up the uh, Yeti questions of the day from this last week. I'll figure that out next time. Um, but you know, one of these things just at a high level, any plans for an, uh, NC fit Jocko victory, uh, workout plan collaboration. Um, just want to say that this is like a super short Yeti question of the week, but, but the plan is hopefully soon, We'll be, you know, doing some collaborations with those guys. I think that in the jujitsu world, we need to talk more about CrossFit and strength conditioning. And obviously in the CrossFit world, we need to be talking more about uh, jujitsu. And I think that a partnership with someone like Jocko or Jocko Fuel or Origin would help us like further that message. And so for that reason, it's something I'm really, really inspired to work with them on because it connects two things that I'm really passionate about, which is CrossFit and jujitsu. So if you see partnership stuff coming out in the future, we've been working on it for a while and it directly relates to what I'm really, you know, what I believe in, right? Train hard, live free and be able to protect yourself and your family. And I think that doing a combination of those things is, is, is the key. So stay tuned for that. Uh, Mike. That's all I got. Of course, of course, of course you would would pick that question of the day. Yeah, of course, because it has something to do with jujitsu, but Um, well, dude, we got to get on, uh, for the coach, like a pro course that's coming up soon. And, um, for anybody listening, you know, if you're a gym owner, if you're a coach, you haven't checked out the NC fit collective, definitely do. So athletes out there, if you're not on our weekly EOE, uh, you know, Gabe does a great job sending out a ton of value. So join our email list. All of these are in the uh, show notes and, uh, we'll be having our next Coach Like a pro course starting here in the next like month or two, depending on when this is released. So stay tuned for coach like a pro the next cohort, because we're on cohort one we will be on cohort two soon, if you're a coach out there. Um, Any final remarks, Gabe, I I like that recommendation on the book that you had. And um, yeah, man, Uh, anything you got?
1: No, that's it, man. Um, I'll keep everyone updated on how this cut goes. Stay tuned. I'm excited, man. It's been a long time coming. So the been,
0: podcast thumbnail needs to be a picture of you before and after just super jacked but once we get to the after part all right fine on the after picture we're gonna have it as a YouTube thumbnail of Jacked Jacked Gabe Jack Dianez deal all right brother good chat with you <laughs> all right thank dude. you everyone for listening make sure to check out the previous podcast see you again next week.